morning again, Oceanside Sanctuary. It's good to be back with you here on YouTube and Facebook for this Sunday morning for us to worship together. Today, I'm going to finish our recent series on our new vision statement at the Oceanside Sanctuary. For those of you who have been around for at least several months, you know that going back to September all the way through to the end of 2020, that our church went through a process of really discerning what our new expression of vision and mission would be for the next three years. That's 2021 through 2023. We have been really praying and discerning and collaborating together on what it is that we feel God is calling us to embody and calling us to prioritize for the next three years. And that resulted in a new mission commitment. You can see it at the website at OceansideSanctuary.org. But for the past couple of weeks, I have just been focusing on our new vision statement and unpacking that statement uh, a, a few words at a time so that we all have a chance as a church to really understand what it is that we have put together as a church and what we're committing to do together for the next three years. And so that vision is very simply this. It's to be a collective expression of inclusive, inspiring, and impactful Christian spirituality wherever it is needed. And the first week, I focused on that idea of us being inclusive. And I said a few weeks ago that to be an inclusive church means that we include all people who want to be followers of Christ here, that we do not discriminate against anybody on the basis of race or color or creed, gender or sexuality, that it doesn't matter what your identity is, that if you are interested in following Christ with us, that you are welcome at the table and that you get to be fully included in this community. In the second week, I talked about that word inspiring, what it means for us to be an inspiring church. And I said that that word inspiring really refers to this idea that the divine presence of God breathes God's spirit into us, not just as individuals, but as a collective group. That that, that outward gift that comes into us and, and, and is breathed into us as the divine presence gives us the creativity and the energy to pursue good things in the world. That that's what it means for us to be inspired. It speaks to that mystery of our relationship with this unseen creator of the universe. And then it empowers us to be in good relationship with each other and with others in this world. And then last week I talked about that word impactful, what it means for us to be an impactful church. And we looked at Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats at the end there, and we really dug into Jesus telling this apocalyptic parable of the end and saying that those who are really a part of God's people, those who have a heart after God, are really those who care for people who are suffering the most, who have been pushed down to the bottom rungs of life, those who are in the most need. And I said that's what it means for us to be an impactful church, that we're not the kind of church that preaches a gospel that says that our faith is all about punching our ticket to some sort of celestial paradise after we die, but know that to be a follower of Christ means that we are here to usher in the Spirit of God here and now to bring about good changes in our society for those who need it the most. And so we at this church are committed to being impactful right here in our community, starting with those who are really suffering the most. 
Well, this week I want to visit one final section of that vision statement together and talk a little bit about what that means because it really does represent a new focus for us as a church. But before we get into that, before we jump into our passage together, I want to invite you to just take a moment, center your heart, center your mind, and let's say a word of prayer together. Would you join me? God, we thank you again for today. We thank you for this opportunity for us to gather together on uh, Facebook and YouTube uh, to be connected to each other as a body wherever we might be, to be inspired, to be filled by a sense of your spirit, and to become the kind of people who go together into this world to make an impact for good for your kingdom. We pray that you would in uh, empower us and give us courage to do that. We pray that you would grow us as a people, that we would learn to really better understand what it means to be in relationship with you and with each other, so that we are doing the work that you have called us to do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you would just grab your Bible, we're going to look today at Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, as always, we're going to go ahead and put the words on the screen for you. But Acts chapter 1 is a really great passage. It sort of picks up where the end of the Gospels really leave off. What we have here is uh, immediately the depiction of Jesus as he's about to ascend into heaven. So Jesus has been spending time with the disciples up to this point. In fact, Jesus has spent several weeks with the disciples after his resurrection. He's spent time eating with them and doing life with them, cooking them breakfast, proving to them that he really has been resurrected in the flesh. But now he is about to ascend into heaven, and the disciples take this opportunity as they're gathered together to ask him a question that is really burning on their hearts. So look with me at verse 6, and we'll pick it up there. It says this, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of heaven? I want to pause there and just point out to you that they're asking the same question here that we talked about last week when we looked at Matthew chapter 24 and 25. When they say, is this the time when you'll restore the kingdom of heaven? What they're really asking Jesus is, okay, is this it? Is, is this finally now the time when you're going to do what we've been waiting for you to do? All this time, you know, Jesus came as the Messiah. And for his, his disciples who were Jewish, who had been living under the hope of the vindication of God's people... They have been expecting Jesus to essentially overthrow his enemies, to overthrow the enemies of God, those who are lording over Israel. And we see this throughout the Gospels, that the disciples time and time again display that their understanding of Jesus, their understanding of Jesus' message, their understanding of God's uh, own self, really, is an understanding that's related to power and force and conquering. And so here again, they ask him, is this now the time when you're finally going to do what we've thought you were going to do? You know, you didn't do it before. Uh, just when we thought you were going to overthrow God's enemies, you, you, know, you uh, healed the sick and cast out demons. You did all these other things instead. And just when you entered into Jerusalem and we thought you were going to be unveiled as the new king. Instead, you were crucified, but now you've been resurrected. So is this the sign of power that now is finally the time when God will conquer our enemies and vindicate us as a people? 
They're asking Jesus the same question that they really have been asking him over and over again. Is it finally time for you to display the power and the might of God to conquer our enemies? And Jesus responds to them in a way that should sound very familiar to us because he doesn't give them the answer that they're hoping for. Verse 7, he replied, It's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set forth by his own authority. In other words, listen, whatever's going to happen in the future, it's not for you to know that. But then he gives them in verse 8 a really interesting piece of instruction. He says, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, what I find really interesting about this passage is that the disciples' question is essentially about power. God, when are you going to come in power? Jesus, are you now going to unleash the power of God to conquer our enemies once and for all? And Jesus responds to them and says, it's not for you to know when the end will come, but I'll tell you this, you will receive power. And that power is something that they are entirely unfamiliar with. Jesus identifies that power not as a kind of physical or military or violent power. He says you'll receive power when the Spirit of God comes to you. And what does that power look like? When the Spirit of God comes to them, what is it that they will be empowered to do? Jesus says, when you receive that power, you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. So Jesus uses this kind of geographic image that begins with Jerusalem, the symbolic center of Israel, the, the seat of authority for God's people. He says, you'll be my witnesses there first, and from there you'll go out to Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria, of course, includes the outermost reaches of the kingdom of Israel. And then Samaria even includes those who are of a different ethnicity than the Jews in Israel. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan. And what makes that parable so powerful is that the Samaritan is a part of a hated ethnic group. Here Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then even to the, the outermost reaches of those in Israel, and then even to those who are on the other side of those ethnic boundaries. And then, as if that is not enough, Jesus expands that vision even beyond Samaria and says, you'll be my witnesses even to the very ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus is telling them that the power that is coming to them in the future is not the power that they are hoping for. It's not the power of the sword. It's not the power to rule or lord over the Gentiles. Instead, it's a different kind of power entirely. It's a spiritual power that enables them to be witnesses to who God is, to testify to who God is to all people on the earth. Now, if you have been raised in church, and especially if you were raised in a kind of fundamentalist 
or evangelical expression of church, then right about now, this talk and maybe even this passage of scripture is maybe a little bit triggering for you. Maybe you're beginning to sweat a little. You're, you're beginning to feel a burden because any moment now, I'm going to tell you that your job in this church is to go out and evangelize your friends and your neighbors and your family and your coworkers because this passage, of course, has been used that way over and over again. It's been used by people just like me, by pastors just like me, to essentially guilt and motivate church people into going out into their networks and trying to convince people that they need to become Christians. And there's something at the heart of that activity, that sort of evangelism and missions activity that I think is very disturbing to many of us. And it really conjures up images of the Great Commission. You know, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, where Jesus says, all authority, again, there's that power that we're talking about. All authority on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go out into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We hear those kinds of passages and we think, oh no, the pastor is going to ask me to evangelize and that is the last thing that I want to do. And it's not just evangelism, because at the heart of these kinds of schemes and strategies to go out into the community and convert our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers to our brand of religion or our brand of faith has at the heart of it, I think, something even more disturbing than that. It's not just an inconvenience. It's not just a little bit embarrassing. It has at the heart of it a kind of arrogance whereby we as Christians would say to other people in the world that we are better than you and that you need to become like us. And maybe that is the kind of faith that you were raised into. It's honestly the kind of faith that I was raised into. And when I read these passages, I tend to get that sort of gross feeling too. And I think what's really at the heart of this is that Christian history is just chock full of really awful examples of how the church and Christianity have used these kinds of passages to do incredible damage in the world. And that damage gets done a lot of different ways. First, it's easy simply to look back at Christian history and see how passages like this have been used over the millennia to conquer other people and other nations, for Christians to go in and with, with armies and swords and guns and, and in mass numbers and invade other cultures and conquer them and claim them for Christendom or claim them for the church and essentially establish themselves as rulers over other people by divine right. And I think we all know that that is wrong. We look back at Christian history and we reject that. And evangelism can feel like that. It also means, uh, when we look back at history, that Christianity has a desire, uh, very much even today sometimes, to control what other people think and do. In other words, the gospel and passages like this are often used to really restrict other people's lives, to tell them how they can behave, what kind of language they can use, to tell them who they have to vote for, to tell them who they can marry and who they can love. 
And our history as Christians and history here in the United States is full of examples of how the church has felt that it could tell other people by law how they should live their lives. But that kind of controlling, I think, is not what Jesus is getting at here either, even though that is a part of our history. And maybe most disturbing for me is the history of Christianity to move into other cultures, not just conquer them, not just seek to control them, but to colonize those other people and those other cultures. And when that colonizing happens, what the church has done, what Christians have done sometimes is they have moved into other ethnic groups and other nations, other people groups, other subcultures, and co-opted those cultures and whitewashed those cultures, stolen their goods, stolen their cultural property, stolen their heritage, and essentially displaced those other cultures, eventually eradicating those other cultures. And we've seen that happen in Christian history over and over again. In this country, we've seen that happen in really horrific, horrific ways with the way that Europeans came to, the, to North America and displaced indigenous people and eradicated their culture, uh, conquered their lands, and sent them to other places to live that we call reservations and relegated them to abject poverty. We also have seen it with the history of slavery, the abduction of black people from Africa, the, the stolen families, the stolen lives that were brought here 400 years ago, and the incredible legacy of bigotry and hatred and colonization that we are still paying the price for today because we've never made it right. When we colonize other people for the gospel, we are utterly displacing who they are, eliminating and erasing their identity. When you put all this together, I think that it's very easy to see the gospel. It's very easy to see Christ. It's very easy to see the church. It's very easy to see God from a Christian perspective as essentially violent and oppressive. To see it as terribly bad news, in fact. And that is, of course, how many people hear the gospel today, when they see Christians or when they hear the word church or when they see the church in the world in a million different ways, they think about the violence and oppression that the church has caused in the world. But Jesus here in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he does not call the disciples to conquer or control or colonize. Jesus doesn't call them to be soldiers. He calls them to be witnesses. Witnesses are simply people who testify to what they have seen. And a witness is only good if they tell the truth. And so what exactly is it that we are witnesses to here in the Oceanside Sanctuary? Well, I think that we are witness to all the things that we have been talking about for the past three weeks. I think that what we have witnessed to here at the Oceanside Sanctuary is that the gospel is not a gospel of conquering. It is a gospel of inclusion. And rather than lording over and ruling over other people, that we welcome them into equal relationships just as they are. I think that we have also witnessed that the gospel is not controlling. It doesn't seek to restrict or limit people's lives, but the gospel is inspiring. 
that as we enter into relationship with God by God's grace and God's mercy, that we are filled not with the restriction of our lives, but with the expansion of our lives, with new possibilities, new ways for us to love other people and serve other people, new ways for us to be in relationship with people who are not like us, people that we don't seek to colonize. I think that we have been witness to that as well. That the gospel is not a colonizing gospel, but rather it is an impactful gospel. That God's Spirit empowers us not to displace and erase other people and other cultures, but God's Spirit calls us to empower people to be exactly who God created them to be, even if that's very different than us. That is a very different gospel entirely. In fact, I would say that's not a gospel of violence. It's not a gospel of oppression. It's a gospel of liberation. And that is good news for most people. For most people, the idea that, that coming into contact with the creator of the universe, this mysterious divine presence that empowers us so that we can be liberated is tremendously good news indeed. That's why the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, It's for freedom that Christ set us free. Christ did not come and, and do his ministry and teach his words and sacrifice himself on the cross and resurrect from the dead so that we could be oppressed and enslaved. No, Christ came and paid those costs so that we could be free. That is, I think, very good news for most people. But if we're honest, we have to admit it's not good news for everybody. And if we are called in this church at the Oceanside Sanctuary to bring a gospel of liberation, a gospel of empowerment, a gospel that enables people to become exactly who God created them to be, then we are going to have to be prepared for the fact that not everybody is going to like it. Because that gospel, the gospel of liberation, is good news for most people, but it's bad news for some. I like the way that James Cone put this, puts this. One of my, my favorite theologians, James Cone, says very plainly, the gospel of liberation is bad news to all oppressors because they have defined their freedom in terms of slavery of others. The reality is, is that for those in this world, and there are many in this world who do this, but for those in this world who define God and Christ and the gospel as a form of violence and oppression and conquering and colonization, our witness to a liberating, empowering, impactful gospel will be seen as bad news. But that is what we are called to do. More so than ever before, I believe. And this is where the last part of our vision statement comes into play. Because at the very end of our new vision, to be a collective expression of inclusive, inspiring, and impactful Christian spirituality, it ends with the phrase, wherever it is needed. And friends, one of the things that I have learned this year during the pandemic is that this gospel, the gospel of liberation, that a life of Christian spirituality that is inclusive, inspiring, and impactful is needed desperately 
all over the place. During this time when we've been broadcasting our church services online for the past year, it's been a year now. Can you believe it? During that time, our church has grown significantly. It's gained members right here in Oceanside, in Vista and Carlsbad in North County because people have come into contact with us for the first time who didn't know that we even existed. But even more surprising than that is the fact that there have been people who have joined our church from all over Southern California, from places like Ramona, Temecula, and Moreno Valley, and uh, Menifee, and Ventura, and Sunland, all over Southern California. People are tuning in and receiving their worship and receiving this kind of liberating message about Jesus. And it's not just Southern California. People are tuning in and joining us on our Zoom classes and Bible studies from all over the country, from places like all the way north in Anchorage, Alaska, to all the way in the east, like Westchester, Pennsylvania, and Brooklyn, New York. People are coming to us from everywhere. And so I think this last part of our new vision is incredibly timely. Because this gospel, this inspiring, inclusive, and impactful gospel of liberation is needed everywhere. There are many people who just don't get a gospel of liberation where they live for whatever reason. We're not the only church that preaches this kind of gospel, not by a long shot. There are so many great, amazing churches all over the country. We're, we're not unique we're not even especially good at what we do, but we're doing our best. And for whatever reason, God has connected people with us from everywhere. And part of our vision, I think, for the next three years is to figure out how we meet their needs, how we include them in our fellowship, how we nurture them in their growth in the gospel and their connection with God and with us and with their communities, how we can do that from a distance. I think that is part of how church is changing radically in the post-COVID era. And I think that's going to be a big part of our future, is helping people wherever they might be to connect to this kind of gospel and to be witnesses to a gospel of liberation. My question for you today that I'd like you to reflect on today and this week is very simply this, who do you think needs to hear this witness? Who do you think in our community, who do you think in your community, wherever you might be, needs to hear that God is not a God of violence and oppression, the gospel is not a gospel of conquering and controlling and colonizing, but that Christ is about liberation? Who needs to hear that? Would you join with me as we close in a word of prayer? God, we thank you so much for today and for this opportunity for us to uh, come to your word and to be inspired by you. We ask that you would fill each of us wherever we might be with a sense of your presence. We ask that you would equip us to bring this message of an inclusive, liberating gospel wherever it is needed. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is CJ, and I've got a few announcements here for you this morning before you take off. Uh, first of all, welcome. Thanks for being part of these online gatherings. And if you're out there and if you're new to the Oceanside Sanctuary here online, 
We would love to know that you're watching and where you're watching from. You can get a hold of us at the oceansidesanctuary.org backslash contact portion of the website when you are ready. I love this, the month of March, Women's History Month. And this is gonna be exciting. March is Women's History Month and here at the Oceanside Sanctuary, we are celebrating that in a couple different ways. First of all, each Sunday of the month, we will be spotlighting women of faith. These profiles will be published weekly on the church blog and the social media accounts. Um, these profiles will be uh, put up there for you to see, to be encouraged by, and to be inspired by. Secondly, we wanna hear from you. We wanna hear about the women in your life who have encouraged you and have inspired you and have changed your life in a positive way. So you can submit these stories by video or you can email them over to alex at oceansidesanctuary.org. And at the end of the month, the team is going to compile and put these all together for a really great presentation that they are gonna share with uh, the congregation. Once again, you can go to the oceansidesanctuary.org backslash blog backslash women's dash history dash submissions for more information or you can simply email alex at oceansidesanctuary.org. The post-COVID survey has gone out and we would love to hear from you if you have not had a chance to respond to that survey. The Oceanside Sanctuary and the staff and the pastors are looking forward to getting things going back in person and we wanna be able to do that safely and effectively and this survey is a great way to share your input on how we can best do that as a church. That survey uh, link is on the screen right here, and you can go to the website for more information on that survey as well. Coming up on Thursday, March 18th at 6.30 p.m. is the monthly call and response scripture study, which approaches the Bible in a amazing group dialogue, much like the call and response tradition found in liturgy, literature, and music of all kinds. So that's coming up on Thursday, March 18th at 6.30 p.m. via the Zoom. And this is a great way to meet some new people and study scripture in a brand new way. And then finally, we want to always encourage you to give to the Oceanside Sanctuary, whether that's your time, volunteering, and uh, to be honest, especially your resources, because that is how we impact this community and all around the community. For more information on how to give and where your finances would go when you do give, you can visit theoceansidesanctuary.org backslash give, and you can always reach out to the team and to the pastors for more information uh, about giving. Continue to stay safe and healthy, and we look forward to seeing you really soon. Have a great week.